The From Day One podcast is brought to you by The Bridge. Visit us at thebridgebk.com. Hi, I'm Nick Bailey, and this is the From Day One podcast. Today's guest is Morris Levy, the co-founder and the CEO of The Yard, the shared office and co-working space. Started in 2011, along with co-founder Richard Beta, the idea of The Yard, like so many successful businesses, started with personal need. Beta and Levy had backgrounds in entrepreneurship and real estate. They found almost no options for flexible workspaces that didn't require expensive long-term leases. The first location they created was a transformed warehouse built between Williamsburg and Greenpoint. It was an office, but it was also intended to be a destination for entrepreneurs to collaborate, to share experiences, to foster new ideas. Some of those original members of the yard included companies like Uber, Blue Apron, Wanderfly, the writing team behind Birdman, the Academy Award winning film. Since then, the yard has grown to a base of about a thousand companies, and they have locations across Brooklyn and now Manhattan, as well as Philadelphia, Boston, and DC. Prior to founding the yard, Levy spent 15 years in fashion before changing fields and managing a real estate firm. In his free time, he plays in lead guitar in a band called Men in My Head. He's a Brooklyn native, and he lives with his family in the borough still today. Morris, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So let's start at the beginning. You were working in, in real estate, presumably, um, before working on the yard. The yard, of course, is a real estate thing. Talk about some of the things that you had seen in your, you know, in your work that that led you to the to the first day of the yard. Well, actually, I was building a community without even knowing it. I was. We did a project in Rockaway Beach, and I sold forty three units. And what happened was the people that I brought together formed a beautiful community, and I realized that my association with, with each one of them made them a cohesive unit. And uh, that project ended, and I was kind of sad it ended. You're talking about like an office, an apartment building? An, a residential residential, residential uh, condo, condominium project. Mm-hmm. And uh, the project ended, and I went back to my home office. I come, I working from home uh, in between a gig, because uh, you know, when you're building something out, you could be on the job site every day. And uh, kids come home 4.30, end of the workday, not not good enough for me. So I went out looking for something, and uh, the options weren't great. So I realized that I could do that, and I could really make it much better than than what I was seeing out there at the time, which was not much. So um, I put together a spreadsheet, and we were open six months later. So this is in 2011. Now you would, you'd spend some time in real estate. You want to walk backwards a little bit. So you'd, you, uh, we mentioned in the intro you'd worked in fashion, and then in and then in real estate. You want to talk a little bit about did you go to did you go to school for this kind of stuff? Like what? How did you get sort of get started in, in the fashion? My family's in the fashion business, um, manufacturing clothing, and I took actually a week off of high school and went straight into the business. And I was traveling overseas for the first four years, spending most of my time in China, and. Uh, Building product lines and merchandising product, uh, which really gave me a great foundation to take something and make it better, and see what can be done to improve upon something and market it a different way. What kind of what kind of fashion are you talking about? This is a, this is a family business that you started working in. Yes. And what yes. kind of stuff did you guys do? Uh, primarily at the time it was ladies' clothing and children's clothing. And did you like? Did you manufacture for other brands? Did you guys have your own fashion brands? We manufactured for other brands, correct? Like, gotcha. So you start. So did you work in like a logistics? capacity like what were some of the things that you did every day I worked in a in, at first in a production capacity making sure that the product got uh, made properly uh, there's so many details in, in in a garment that we take for granted the color of the thread the buttons the placement the buttonholes the tickets how it's folded how it's packed there's so many things that are uh, a logistical nightmare especially when you're doing business with large retailers their compliance really uh, is rough, so it, it really it's a great training to uh, learn how to do things in a way that doesn't 
there's not a lot of room for error because if you make a mistake, they send it back. One of the things that that, that business and real estate probably have in common, right, is that there's there's relatively low margins in a lot of ways. Like there's so much competition that you kind of you can't make a lot of mistakes. You know, like every dollar counts. Is that is that something that you found? Absolutely. Uh, you know, you make a mistake, it sets you back a month. It, it, it hits big to the bottom line. So yes, absolutely. It's different from something like a software company or, or, or a startup or something, right? Um, I've never been in a software company, so I can't really speak to that. But um, I would have to say that uh, when you're playing with a clothing product line and you, you make a mistake, the product's there. And if you can't make good for it, it's garbage. So uh, that happens sometimes, unfortunately. So, how long how long were you in that in that role? You know, how long were you working in the garment stuff? I worked at the garment on the in the garment business for about fifteen years, like you said. Um, but I bounced around a lot. Um, after I was in production, I started uh, using my ability to sell, and um, that's really what where it really took off for me because I love to be with people, I, and relationships are very important to me. I'm a genuine guy, if I may say so. And uh, I, I cherish my relationships. It's one of the things that building my own company today, I'm sorry to jump, but one of my proudest parts of the yard is my team. I have a great team and it, it shows through. So transitioning from a production to a sales role where you're really uh, building relationships that build a business is, is a great thing. How did you how did you start transitioning from that role into the, into the real estate stuff that you started doing subsequently? Interesting. Um, Although I was enjoying the, the business, I started going to school at night to learn a little bit more about uh, real estate because I just had a, an interest, you know, everything interested me. And, and uh, when you're manufacturing something and, and you're merchandising something and you're improving on something, essentially that's adding value. Um, so adding value to a property and to a building is not much different if you could see uh, what something's potential is. Kind of like when we saw the first base in, in, in uh, Greenpoint. Uh, a lot of people would have saw that space and walked away, but uh, Richard and I saw that space, and we you you really couldn't even walk in the space. And we said that this this has the bones to be something great. What were some of the first things you did in in, in real estate? Did you start buying properties? Were you managing things? Uh, I started in a management role, the firm that I worked in that I ended up taking over because it was just run a mess. Um, was a family-run business and it was very thrown together. And uh, like I said before, uh, working with large retailers, they get you systemized and they and they do things a certain way. And once you become accustomed and and disciplined to doing things a certain way, it really translates to a lot of a lot of different areas. And it gave me the 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 vision to say this is to to realize this is a mess. This could be a lot tighter. And I took a company that had 24 people, and unfortunately, I had to let a lot of people go. And I did the same job with four people, hmm. um, and we became an efficient organization. Are you talking about like processes, like things like standard operating procedures? Like, what, what do you mean, sort of Absol- on a practical level? Absolutely, standard operating procedures that can be that can grow with you. Uh, everything has to be able to be scalable, and that's one of the things that we really focused on when we were building the yard. Um, you know, you could fall into a trap where oh, it's just one location, let's just do it like this. No, what happens when you have six locations? What happens when you have eight locations? You don't want to go backwards and have to redo things mm-hmm. and not have the data and, and get yourself into a, into a system where it's not going to take you into the future. So, yes. Were you based in, um, when you were doing real estate before the yard, were you based in, when mostly in Brooklyn? Uh, I was based in New Jersey and okay. then later on in Manhattan. Gotcha. And you're from Brooklyn though, right? Yes. What Born and raised, still live in Brooklyn. I live in Midwood. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Brooklyn. When I was growing up, though, it wasn't as cool 
uh, to when you, when I travel the world and I say I was from Brooklyn, it wasn't like today. Today you say I'm from Brooklyn and people are like, oh wow, Brooklyn, I heard that's so cool. And back then it was like Brooklyn, war zone. Interesting. What were some of the changes that you saw like over, your, over the course of your, your time, you know, and, and I mean, growing up, did people, you know, what was what was the era? Like, not to date you, but was it like Saturday it's Night okay. Fever era? Or it's okay. No, <laughs> punk rock? Um, so I guess it was the 80s mm -hmm. and um, there was a lot of, it was still Brooklyn. That's one of the things I love about Brooklyn today, even so still it's, there's a lot of pocket ethnicity, especially in the area where, where I live. Um, you could go to a different store to buy meat, fish, cheese, spices instead of going to one giant store like a whole foods for, uh, for example that ethnicity and the, and, and the, that culture is is a beautiful thing um so unfortunately in some areas it changed from that where i live it's still very much like that um and um i think people changed and and it by people changing it changed the surroundings when i grew up it was I don't want to say war zone, but it wasn't a friendly place to be. You had to look over your shoulder when you walked down the block. Mm -hmm. There was, uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but mm -hmm. there was there were segments and fractions and groups of people that didn't get along with one another. Mm -hmm. You know, you had the Dians and the Irish and the Black and the Jewish and the, and no one got along. Today, I think that I see it in my kids, they they, they get along. People get along, and uh, I think that that is the first step of change, and it really came a long way, and it, and that enables neighborhoods to come forward and, and 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 things to change. So I think that's one of the biggest differences. And then came all the the construction and the building, and you know some people call it uh, what's the bad word for it? Um, gentrification. Gentri <laughs> gentrification. Um, right. But it's not always like that. It's not always it's not always like that. I think it starts from a good place. Well, one of the things a lot that I hear a lot, especially from people like you who've, who've had a really long history, um, you know, in parts of New York that you know were kind of overlooked for a while, is that they'll sort of they see sort of both sides of that coin, right? Where you know, on one hand, they're like, you know, this it, it sucks for people that like really have roots in a place to to feel that they're not welcome anymore, and it, it's 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 tough for families to stay in a place where they have a history when the economics change. Um, but a lot of times people say things like, well, you know, it really kind of sucked back then too. <laughs> like it was, it was, it was miserable. Like, and there's a lot of things I'm kind of happy that, you know, that there's not as much trash on the streets or that, you know, what, what there's sort of, do you see two sides to that discussion? Abs absolutely. It definitely goes both ways. It definitely does. At the end of the day, it's, it's a better place today, Brooklyn. I, I think, I don't think anyone can argue with that. You know, there's less violence. The people are getting along. It's a nice thing. It's, it's, I'm happy to see it the way it is today. One of the changes that's happened too, um, and sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, is, um, is is there's a lot more flexibility that people kind of demand from business relationships. You know, um, they demand more flexible hours at work, and you know they might demand like more flexible relationships with like you know an office or something like that. Some of the stuff that you guys have worked on, um, sometimes this manifests in like the gig economy, you know, like the Airbnb economy. Um, but clearly, this co-working thing that started to to pop up. Um, you know, is something where people are kind of insisting that they not be like tied down into these really onerous, difficult, you know, leases or situations. They want to they want to have their businesses or their projects be flexible. Did, is that a trend that you saw coming? It seems like you guys were you know pretty much on the front end of that as like a as like a public trend. Um, did you notice that in your in your in your work before starting the yard? Is that something you're addressing? Absolutely. Uh, it's about commitment, like you said. Um, people don't want to be uh, locked in. Um, when I was managing the portfolio, we had a lot of large spaces and they were always hard to move those large spaces. But when I cut them up into smaller spaces, they went very quickly. And I had to also be flexible instead of taking a, a 10 year deal, I would take a three year deal. And uh, we filled that up, 
filled the spaces up, whereas, you know, it's a little bit more work and it's a little bit more time consuming, but at the end of the day, you have, you have revenue coming in and you have people inhabiting the space, which makes the building a lot better. I mean, when we put that building together, uh, 33 Nassau Street, I can't tell you what it did for the neighborhood. We were, it was a little bit on the outskirts of Williamsburg proper because it had, Williamsburg had already started to go up in price. But bringing 250 people to one block every single day, what it did for the neighborhood, the restaurants, the taco shop, the bodegas, I mean, there was life there. And it was a nice thing to see. Economics would sort of tell you that if everybody's demanding something or if people are frustrated by the terms they're getting, you know, in a business relationship, then the market would would, would jump in there and fix it. But these very long leases, the way that commercial real estate has been done was really stable for like a really long time. It's only very recently that these radical changes have come. And you guys, of course, what we can talk about, we work in other and other people in the sector. But you know, before before this kind of recent trend, why didn't the market meet this need? There must be some reason why landlords or, or property owners didn't want to do it, right? What's what's what are the two sides of that argument? Great question. I think that it stems from um, two. It's two parts for me. Um, one is service and, and the amount of effort that has to be put in by a landlord, traditional traditional landlord. They want to write a lease, 10-year lease, and they don't want to hear from you. They don't want to get a call. They don't they don't want to pass you in the elevator. They just want your check. And probably a lot of people don't know that like commercial leases are different than residential leases. Like, like they don't have to fix your, your bathrooms, right? Like when you have a commercial Correct. lease for, for a larger space, like they pretty much walk away, right? Correct. But you know what? If, if you take a look at the residential side on the flip side, that's always been a one-year term, mm-hmm. two years at max. No one ever signs a 10-year rental deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. It's interesting contrast. And I think that this, that's kind of the direction it's heading. Uh, today, even though people sign up on a month-to-month, people stay a long time with us. And that says a lot about our service delivery, uh, that we're there for them and that they're happy and that they're comfortable. Um, you know, we, you mentioned some of the competitors. Everyone's heard of the competitors today. There are a lot of competitors that are larger than than us, than the yard. And um, the fact that uh, every yard member has heard of some of those competitors, yet they choose to be with us, and it's not only about price, because uh, we're not the cheapest uh, option out there. Uh, we're at market prices, and, and people stay with us for this, for the service, for our team, the support that we offer. And it's it's it really says a lot about our deliverables, and I'm very happy about that, because that's one of the most difficult challenges. The people always say what's your most challenging and it's always it's always the people getting great people but when you find the right people and you have a cohesive team and you build a culture around them and people are happy that that really shines through because i can't be at every location uh when i set the vibe at the first location my thought right away went to uh how am i going to repeat how am i going to repeat this i can't be in two places at once what was the vibe at the first location what were you trying to accomplish so when we opened it, it the idea wasn't we're going to open 100 of these. That's not where we started. It mm-hmm. was let's have a base and let's continue. I did a bunch of projects that first year. And what was the, what was the initial product like? Was it was it like hot desks, like the sort of the standard model that's now? Or was it, was it more like small, flexible offices? Like talk a little bit about what, what makes you guys unique or what, how, you, how you guys look at your offering. Uh, so we, oh, we went straight for the offices. We, always, we realized right away that people wanted their own space, a lockable space, somewhere that they felt safe. Um, so we we do offer hot desks. It's about 10% of our business today, and it always has been. Um, it's a great launching pad because a lot of people will start there and then and then matriculate into the larger space. Um, but that's always been the, the focus for us. We also realized that a little bit more privacy is what people are looking for. Uh, seeing your neighbor every moment of the day is not 
what you're there for. But yet it is an atmosphere where if you want to get out of your space, you're encouraged to not spend all your time in your office. So the communal areas are very important for that collaboration. So it's sort of a, so somewhere between you know your usual like midtown building that has lots of small professional suites in it and this sort of like wide open plan, free for all, you know, glass walled sort of thing. Somewhere, somewhere between the two models, right? Correct, correct. You have to come visit. That's. <laughs> I think we, we, you guys um uh, is Wanderlust in your office and. As a matter of fact, they're upstairs from us now, mm-hmm. uh, but they they often uh, use our space downstairs and 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 take blocks of space when they're working on different projects. So that's one of the beauties of the we, flexibility. We taped this podcast over uh, in that space a couple months ago. Oh really? Yeah, it's great. We've seen it. it's so beautiful. And and there's a the guy. It. You guys um. You guys have one on the Lower East Side too, like on Delancey. Delancey, that was our second location. With a, with a great rooftop. That's a great space. I love those spaces. You know, today my office is in Midtown. Uh, we just opened our 14th location. It's in uh, South Williamsburg on Broadway. And uh, I, I want to move my office back to Brooklyn now. I'll tell you, I really, I enjoy being here. Uh, and it's just so much less chaotic than Manhattan and Midtown. Uh, but, you know, as we were building the brand, it was important to be there and have those offerings. Uh, but we were always a little bit more neighborhood-centric. We have a couple of locations on the Upper West Side, which uh, are tremendous locations because people don't want to commute into Midtown, mm-hmm. and they don't have to today. Right, right. That was something we're really noticing. I mean, you know, the 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 residential exodus to Brooklyn started. I mean, who knows when? I mean, obviously, there's millions of people in Brooklyn for 100 years, but um, the real sort of Manhattan migration started at least 20, 25 years ago. But one of the things I've noticed, and since I've been here. Um, is, is, is the way the jobs have migrated too. It's really kind of kind of stunning that how many offices and how many like real large companies are based in you know places like like where we are today in Dumbo, Williamsburg. Um, that's like a that's like a difference, right? Between between the way things were before, right? For 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 knowledge workers, for sort of like technical technical and media businesses, right? Absolutely, the talent pool's coming from all over the country today. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas we used to be in the the New York area used to be in different industries. There was a lot of warehousing, a lot of construction, uh, uh, and uh, production, you know, a lot of these buildings that were surrounded were factories. Probably the building that we were in was a factory, sewing factory, who knows what they were doing in here. Um, and as those jobs moved on and, and industries changed, the progression brought in talent that was that is working on just different stuff and they, they need places to work. Absolutely. Do you think that trend's going to continue? Do you think that the old model of like people commuting into the city, like the city meaning Manhattan in New Yorker terms, right. uh, do you think that that's that that's kind of ending. Um, I mean, Midtown and, down, and Downtown, I think, still are like the number one and number two largest central business districts in the country with like Chicago behind both of them. You know, so it's, I mean, Manhattan still kind of rules for business, right? It's always going to be Manhattan. It's the greatest city in the world. I, I believe that. And I love to, I mean, one of the great things about Brooklyn is its proximity to Manhattan. Mm-hmm. That's really what makes it because the people spill over. And, uh, but you know what? The same way that People don't have to commute 20 minutes to downtown. You don't need to be in Manhattan today to have a successful business. And we see that all over the all over the world. So, uh, used to be every business wanted to be in Manhattan, and today you really don't need to be. Mm-hmm. To back up a little bit, I want to I want to I want to dwell on this sort of business model because I think it's interesting. You know, talk a little bit about like so this change is interesting, right? Like like sometime between I don't know, say 2008, 10, and today, I guess the last 10 years or so. Um, this 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 flexibility in in the office market really just kind of exploded. What are the sort of the economic? What, what's the danger of that? Is is it? Are you guys exposed to like a downturn in a way that you wouldn't be if you had longer leases? Like, well, you know, what? Why was it so hard for this to happen? I'm, I'm, I want I want to I want to I want to get the answer to this. It's, it's, I've wondered about this for a while. Why was it so hard yeah, for? Why? Yeah. Why 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 did why did why did for the last fifty years why why have there been no flexible office spaces? It seems like people would want them. There's been 
there's been startups for years, right? People have always been really frustrated by the by the office market. Well, there have been some players in the business for for years and years, like Regis. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think that it's kind of like a dress down version. You know, it's a lot less corporate. And uh, listen, it was not easy signing our first bunch of leases. People are like, what is that? Co-working? What do you mean? You want to sublet my space? What does that mm-hmm. look like? And uh, with the owners of the property, absolutely. That's the so that's the catch, right? Absolutely. The, prop, the owners of the build. I mean, I've I've signed commercial leases as a as an entrepreneur, um, and they usually have very very clear terms. Like you're not allowed to to to, to sublease. Like Correct. you can't you can't just sign a lease and then turn it into a co-working space. You got to get them to agree to it. Um, yeah. So how what was that like? How did that how did that go? We had to show them what the plan was and uh, educate them on our vision and at the time it was, wasn't like come here let me drive you over and take a look at this there wasn't a lot of options and uh, the ones that were out there I really didn't wouldn't want to show them because that, that wasn't my vision we got lucky we got a, we got a couple landlords that had faith in us and uh, some of our track record and allowed us to put put together what we have and uh, and today we have we're doing business with some of the largest landlords in the country so we have a very nice reputation on that side as well what are some of their concerns is the concern is it a financial concern or is it more like all these random tenants that they've never met? Like, do they, do they just like to keep it simpler? The concern is traffic in the building. You're mm-hmm. taking a space where they usually have uh, uh, one person per 100, 150 square feet and putting a little bit more people. It depends if, you, if you're doing uh, a lot of hot desks. We don't do a lot of hot desks, so we're not really cramming them in. We do a lot. We, we do wider hallways. Funny enough, three months down the road when we're open and we're full, you, I would see the uh, landlord walking around the building with the ba- with their banker, mm-hmm. and elated and proud of what their building looks like, and uh, that's a great thing. So, so let's talk about the other uh, the other elephant in the room. Um, you know, obviously, WeWork has had this incredible sort of venture capital fueled rise. Um, I don't know the exact timing. I'm sure you do, but you guys you guys launched at sort of similar times, right? Yeah. Well, his first iteration was a couple blocks from here, Green Desk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he started uh, WeWork in 2011, also maybe 2010, uh, with his location on uh, Grand and Lafayette. And did you guys, you guys have not pursued that super, super high growth model. Is, is there a reason why? And, and like, how do you, how do you see yourselves as, as different from, from them? We take a uh, much smaller space. And my average size space is about 26,000 square feet. It's good for about 100 companies. It creates a really nice community. Um, and that's where I, I want to be. Taking down huge swaths of space, in my opinion, is, uh, you know, in a, in a down economy, uh, there's going to be some fall off. I, we started in, in, in 2011 and things were just coming around. And, and we did see a lot of entrepreneurs that had left larger businesses and, and, can't, and come to the yard to start their own thing. Uh, but if you see that again uh, and you have a tremendous space, you don't want to see your occupancy dipping in, 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 a, in a major way. Uh, with a small space and you have a tighter community, it's a lot more ma- manageable. Um, as far as our scale and, 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 and WeWork scale and some of the other competitors, I'm not one to really look at others. I'm very, very content and happy with, with the community that I built and the companies that are working with us. And, and we're a very profitable company today uh, and really always have been. And uh, it's not always about biggest for us. Uh, you know, there's... Uh, there's the Hiltons and the Sheridans of the world, and then there are the boutique hotels. And when I travel, mm-hmm. I stay in a boutique hotel. I don't hit the Hilton. And that's getting more trendy, to be honest. I mean, people people are gravitating towards boutique brands that can deliver personalized service, right? So, in so general, exactly. And and what we don't deliver in services, the multitude of different options, we back in our service. 
we focus on that. So it's it's the difference between going to say I don't know I've never been but uh, Friendlies or Fridays or something they you have a mm-hmm. diner that has its twenty page menu with photos, and you go into a restaurant and they give you a one pager and it doesn't matter if you close your eyes and point to it everything's going to be delicious. That's the idea. Somewhere along the path, I read uh, Danny Meyer's book, Setting the Table, and he explains about hospitality, and that really made an impact on me because I'm in the hospitality business, and that's when he re- really when I realized that that's that's what I'm that's what I do. I don't I'm not in the real estate business anymore. I'm only in the real estate business when I sign that lease. After that, I'm 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 providing a service, and that's you're like a host basically. Right? I'm a host, and you know what? It's very gratifying when you wake up in the morning, and you go to work, and you're providing a service. It takes you out of yourself. Because you're not you're not there for yourself. You're there for everyone else. At the end of the day, if you do a good job for everyone else, the self part comes. So it's mm-hmm. it's very interesting, and uh, it's an it's a nice way to live. And some people, you know, I, I think my my experience has been you know hanging out with other entrepreneurs and stuff is that you know a lot of people say that this sort of like really over the top model. You know, I'm thinking of WeWork, and and the sort of it's sort of like a at least among the people that I've talked to, they, they seem to sort of be falling off pretty quickly after their sort of initial year or so. They, they sort of, they're, they're kind of ready to move on. You know, that it, it's an idea that works better on paper maybe than it works in the real world. Like it's, it's, it's difficult and distracting and it's sort of like the environment is actually pretty tough. That's a hard problem to solve, right? Creating a community isn't, isn't something you can just kind of do, right? Like it's something that takes hands-on work. It's organic. It has to really happen. You can't force a vibe. It's it's mm-hmm. very cheesy and awkward when you do try. It all stems from the people. You put the right people in, and they end up connecting with people, and and that's what happens. You, you build something nice, and sometimes you do get a rotten seed in in the space, and you have to handle it because that could really spread. What are some examples? I mean, not not with specific names, but like, what are some of the kinds of problems that you guys can see? Um, you get a business that's hopping around um, because they're scamming people. Mm. Uh, taking headshots and getting people jobs or giving them OSHA certifications and not really delivering but getting $100 from each person that walks in the door. And, and you know, you research them, you pull them up, and, and sometimes you don't see it at, when, they, when they come in before they sign up, but when they, when they come in. But right away, when you see it happening in the space, you have to really take an action and, and make sure that your space is, is a, a safe place for everyone, visitors and members. Interesting. What What are some of the things you guys have learned? Uh, you know, in the in the couple of years since you started, what are some of the the lessons you've taken into like your next round of spaces? Wow, you have some good questions. Um, there's so many things. That's really you got me. Um, giving the best space in a space within that space for, to everyone. Sometimes uh, mm-hmm. you, we have a space on the corner of Fifth Avenue and Forty Third Street, and the corner would be some office, and it would bring in some nice. Uh, monthly fees but to give it to the community and to make a lounge out of it that's that's a lesson that's make, giving it to everyone instead of just looking at your bottom line that's one example uh, I think that the service thing is something that we, we keep dialing in on and how to back those services and, and, and to learn that you can't be everything to everyone but what you do deliver and what you do stand behind you really have to do it right what about the what about the community side of it? Like, do you guys, you know, are, are you looking for certain kinds of companies? Like, do you, you know, how do you decide like who's in a specific space? Is there any kind of curation that goes on? Not really. Uh, that's one of the things that is great about the yard is that we don't have a, a entry process like some of the other uh, spaces that we've heard of. I mean, I've heard of spaces that want photographs of the people that are going to sign up. 
we're really all inclusive. We want everyone. And and the beautiful thing about a space is the eclectic uh, range of businesses. Um, what are some of the kind of businesses that you've seen? Like, what are some of the interesting things that people are doing well, in your spaces? We've had uh, Jack and Jacqueline and Scott from State Bags with were with us. Uh, they were with us in I forgot what year it was, maybe 2013 or 2012. Um, so I had I had a State Bag before anyone had a State Bag. Um, I heard them on your podcast. Uh, today we have. It's it's unbelievable what people are doing. You know, it's great also to see all the nonprofit, mm-hmm. see the great work that people are doing and sacrificing from uh, their own time and their own and their self. The gamut goes very very wide. Um, we've had talk space in our in our spaces on the Upper West Side. We have a lot of more. Uh, we have a lot more financial institutions, institutions and family offices, peppered them with lawyers and accountants. Uh, Brooklyn's a lot more creative. What about the what about the other cities? Like what what. You sort of couldn't run out of New York spaces, right? I mean, you could you could expand to New York for years, right? Why did you decide to leave the city um, and, and and try some new cities as well? So first, we went ventured into uh, Philly, and you know we have a location on Thirty Second and Sixth, and uh, the synergy uh, that's given uh, via the Penn Station here and the Penn Station there mm-hmm. uh, was an easy one for us. It's an hour away. It's a great city. There are some great. That's a Philly's a great city. I love going there, and uh, it's it's a small city. It feels really really nice, and uh, there are beautiful old historic buildings which we took a building. And it's so beautiful, and when we saw it, it looked like it, I mean it was just uninhabited for maybe fifty years. So it's great to see the, the transition, and uh, I think it's important when you grow a brand to start to infiltrate other markets, um, and that's really where where it came from. And and then we went to D.C. and Boston. Uh, also, great cities, a lot going on. And what's what's next for you guys? You guys can continue to. to I the think new it's locations? time to go to the West Coast. Uh, you know, we we've been looking in San Francisco, uh, expensive space, far away. But I think that that's really where it's at for us because we have so many members that are traveling coast to coast, and um, they ask us, "And when you're opening?" Interesting. Well, that's exciting. So, one last question for you. I, you know, I was looking. Um, I was looking over some of the notes on uh, on your career, and I realized that. Um, have I heard you and your band playing with 50 Cent in Century 21 <laughs> while shopping like a million times? <laughs> Probably too many times. That we're not actually the band's not together anymore. I'm actually looking for a new gig. So if I could promote anything, I'm definitely out there to, uh, looking to play uh, with some people. Um, but yes, we did have a very good time, uh, and uh, it's just a great outlet. You know, I have six kids. I do uh, a lot of work, and it, having a good outlet is so key to uh, being able to wake up in the morning and perform you know sometimes you go to sleep at night and you have a late night and you can't wake up in the morning but if sometimes you go out at night and you have the a great night and you just can't wait to wake up in the morning so that's what playing was for me I would go out and play music till late at night but never it was never hard for me to wake up because it filled my soul so that's really uh, so lead guitar is, 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 is the way you, you blow off steam Yes. <laughs> it's one of the ways. That, I mean, I wake up and I run and I meditate and I do. I have so many uh, things that, that help me stay on, on on the path because there's so many distractions out there today. Uh, and I think that, uh, not I think, I, I've proven to myself that uh, the discipline in mind and body and, and health and wellness really helped me go the distance. So, thank you so much for coming in. This was great. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to From Day One, how Brooklyn entrepreneurs got their start. This series is made possible by The Bridge, a news site dedicated to reporting on business in Brooklyn. With help from Complex Ventures, a Brooklyn-based digital agency working with more-than-profit companies and organizations. 
For more from The Bridge, to learn more about today's guest, or to listen to more episodes of From Day One, visit us at thebridgebk.com. That's T-H-E-B-R-I-D-G-E-B-K.com. From Day One is produced by Cora Feeder, Steve Kep, and myself, Nick Bailey. Audio editing and post-production by Steph Derwin. Our theme music was performed by Jody Rockwell and the Ambulance, and our founding sponsor was the Made in New York Media Center. Thanks for listening.